0: Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host Ruth Preedy. In today's episode we're back with the IFRIC, they met up again and we're looking at September IFRIC agenda and I couldn't talk to anyone else about this so welcome back Carsten Gansalga.
1: Thank you, Ruth. Happy to be back.
0: And you didn't have much to talk about. It was like a nice little light agenda at the September. You could have, you know, had a nice cup of tea and a break. Only two things.
1: How how long did it last? Well, Surely I think, a couple uh, of hours. Well, it was still around three hours, I think. So we 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 find topics to discuss. <laughs>
0: you found you found plenty of IFRS stuff to fill the time. Right. You could talk about IFRS all day long, but. We, we won't, we're only going to talk about it for 20 minutes. So let's get into the first actual issue. And it was a new issue that got sent to the IFRIC and all around sale and lease back, but specifically in the context of a corporate wrapper. So if you give us a high level of this new
1: issue. Sure. I think this is quite an interesting submission, essentially a scope question. Again, it's around which standard to apply in a situation when an entity sells an asset, that sits in a legal entity and then leases that asset back from the entity. So so more specifically, the submission is about a fact pattern where an entity owns 100% of the shares in a subsidiary. The sub holds only one asset, say a building, has no liabilities, and the building held by the entity does not meet the definition of a business. And now the entity enters into a transaction in which it sells all of its shares in its subsidiary that contains the building, and as a consequence, loses control of its subsidiary in accordance with IFRS 10 and also loses control of the building in accordance with IFRS 15 and then leases the building back. And because the entity legally sells the shares in an entity that contains the building rather than the building itself and then leases the building back, the question that was asked is essentially whether the accounting changes if the building is transferred via a share deal as compared to an outright sale of the building. Or more specifically, whether the sale and leaseback requirements in IFRS 16 apply to in such a situation and how the gain on the sale is calculated. So my sense is that this question came up mainly as a result of another IFRIC discussion that was discussed last year, that is around whether to apply IFRS 10 or IFRS 15 to the sale of real estate in a corporate wrapper. So essentially a similar fact pattern, but without the leaseback, which actually Triggered quite a controversial broader debate about the interaction of IFRS 10 with other standards.
0: Oh, you see that beastly IFRS 10. That's why you were talking for three hours, because you (laughs) got into corporate wrappers. Okay, brilliant. So, really interesting there. Great summary of what the issue was. Did the submitter, when they wrote in, almost present a potential view? How did they think that should be accounted for?
1: Yeah, basically, the submitter identified. Two potential views. The, f- the first one is that IFRS 16 sales back guidance applies regardless of whether the asset is sold directly or via a corporate wrapper. And the second view was that in this fact that the parent loses control of its subsidiary and thus it's a sale of shares, which should be accounted for in accordance with IFRS 10. So the second view was basically that the transaction is in the scope of IFRS 10 rather than IFRS 16, at least for the sale bit for the sale leg. The main difference between the views would be that under the first view, any gain from the transaction can only be partially recognized, whereas under the second view, full gain recognition would be appropriate. So basically a scope question, whether sale Sale's back guidance in IFRS 16, or instead the guidance on loss of control of a subsidiary in IFRS 10 should be applied.
0: And I'm going to give a shout out here, Carsten, to Mary Dolson because she always taught me that scope is like one of the harder or where all the issues come from. Which standard are you in is one of the challenging, most challenging areas of the world of technical accounting. So we know that there were two different views there. What were the initial conclusions by the IFRIC and you know what they decided to do next?
1: No. The the staff analysis suggested that in, in this fact pattern, the parent loses control of its subsidiary and thus the loss of control requirements in IFRS 10 apply. And in addition, the trans- transaction is also a sales spec transaction within the scope of IFRS 16, so suggesting that both IFRS 10 and okay. IFRS 16 are applicable to this transaction. Now, interestingly, the staff paper also analyzed the difference between this fact pattern and the fact pattern that was discussed last year by the EFRIC around the sale of, of real estate in a corporate wrapper. So essentially, the same fact pattern, but without the leaseback. Essentially, a key difference between those two submissions is that IFRS 15 excludes from its scopes uh, contractual rights and obligations within the scope of IFRS 10, whereas in contrast, IFRS 16 does not contain a similar scope exclusion. So essentially, the staff paper suggested that an entity would first apply the IFRS 10 requirements and then overlay the leaseback requirements in IFRS 16 which simply means that there's another aspect to the loss of control transaction, which is the leaseback, which then resides in adjustment to some of the amounts that would otherwise reside from applying IFRS 10 in isolation. So the committee discussed various aspects of the staff analysis. In summary, while there were some mixed views on some of the details of the analysis in the paper, there was broad consensus at the committee around the proposed overall conclusion in the staff paper. And so the committee concluded that IFRS standards do provide an adequate basis to conclude on this fact pattern and voted to issue a TAD along the lines proposed in the staff paper with only a few tweaks to the wording. So essentially the TAD will confirm that the legal form of the transfer does not matter. So say lease back guidance applies regardless of whether the asset is transferred directly. Of via a share deal. And accordingly, that full gain recognition would not be appropriate in this fact pattern.
0: Brilliant, I forgot we'd come up with the TAD, the acronym, or I say we, Carsten, that was you, you yeah. trademarked it that one, but good, I'm pleased you remembered it for this one. So, oh, can I ask a really stupid question then? So we said there that almost both apply. You're in scope of IFRS 10 and IFRS 16, but we said the difference between the two is IFRS 10 would give you full gain and IFRS 16 would give you partial gain. I feel like I need numbers to get this. So yeah. what do you get if you apply both? Full gain, partial gain?
1: Yeah, there, there was a lot of debate on, on on this logic of the overlay approach. And I think people perhaps somewhat mixed views on the exact logic to apply. But I, I would say there was consensus that at the end of the day, the requirements in IFRS 16 prevail. And provide the more specific guidance and therefore you know you would only get to partial gain recognition.
0: Okay thank you. Okay so that was a new issue but we got to a tentative agenda decision a tad so right in now if you like me you want to see some number crunching to see how it would work. The other uh, thing that you talked about I suppose slightly different because it's not an agenda decision it's actually an exposure draft that the ISB has been working on which is all around deferred tax related to assets and liabilities arising from a single transaction. And this is something that originally had come to the Interpretations Committee. And the action from the IC was effectively to propose the board to do something about it. And they are now, so they were coming back to you to get some feedback. Now, this probably isn't the easiest issue. So maybe if you could just give us a reminder of the issue, first of all, and, you know, sort of where it came from. Sure.
1: I'll try to give a high-level summary, but I'm afraid even so I'll need, I need a few minutes just to explain what the, the issue age. is. <laughs> I, I'm afraid this will have to be a bit of a deep dive into the principles of IS-12, but I promise I'll do my best to explain this as simple as possible. So this issue relates to, an, as, as you said, Ruth, this relates to an exposure draft which the board published back in summer of last year and which proposed amendments to IS-12 as a result of a discussion that the committee had in response to submission received. So the purpose of the discussion at this meeting mainly was to obtain the committee's advice on the staff's preliminary recommendations in relation to the exposure draft. So this issue has been discussed for quite some time, but then really gained traction with the implementation of IFRS 16, as this issue is mainly about the interaction of IFRS 16 and IS 12. So maybe I'd start by reminding folks of the the general principle in IS 12, which which requires an entity to recognize deferred tax for all temporary differences. However, there's an exception to this principle. IS 12 prohibits entities from recognizing deferred taxes for deductible or taxable temporary differences arising on initial recognition of an asset or liability in a transaction that is not a business combination and at the time of the transaction affects neither accounting profit nor taxable profit. This is called the recognition exemption. Now, if we look at the leases standard, one of the main principles in IFRS 16 is that an entity recognizes an asset and liability at the commencement date of a lease. Similarly, there may be circumstances other than lease assets and liabilities that result in an entity recognizing both assets and liabilities on initial recognition. So another example might be the recognition of decommissioning obligations in accordance with IS-16 and IS-37. But for simplicity, let's now just focus on the assets and liabilities arising from leases so on initial recognition of a lease an entity assesses whether temporary differences arise in determining whether to recognize deferred tax now when an entity receives tax deductions on making these payments it needs to determine whether those tax deductions are attributable to the lease asset or to the lease liability this distinction is important because when applying is 12 temporary differences arise only when the entity determines that te- tax deductions relate to the lease liability now let's focus for a minute on the purpose of the recognition exemption if temporary differences r- arise on initial recognition in a transaction that is not a business combination that affect neither accounting profit nor taxable pr- profit an entity would in the absence of the exemption recognize deferred tax and adjust the carrying amount of the asset or liability by the same amount such adjustments to the carrying amounts would make the financial statements less transparent and for this reason is 12 prohibits the recognition of deferred taxes in these circumstances now what does all of this mean for leases on initial recognition of a lease asset and lease liability temporary differences would either not arise because the tax deductions relate to the lease asset or they would be would typically be equal and offsetting because the tax deductions relate to the lease liability. So when temporary differences do arise, they are equal and offsetting. And if the recognition exemption were not applied, an entity would generally recognize a deferred tax asset liability of the same amount. So there would not be any adjustment to the carrying amount of the related lease asset or lease liability and thus the outcome the recognition exemption was designed to prevent does not apply to a lease and the exemption is therefore not needed on initial recognition of a lease.
0: Wow. go IS-12 <laughs> is tiring. Okay, good. So, reminded us there about the initial recognition exemption and um, obviously its applicability to IFRS 16. So, we understand the issue. What's the ED proposing to do to solve this?
1: so what's now being proposed in the exposure draft the proposal effectively is to do a narrow scope amendment to is 12 that would narrow the scope of the recognition exemption so that it would not apply when an entity would otherwise recognize a deferred tax, asset, and liability of the same amount. What this means is that under this approach, entities would recognize deferred tax assets and liabilities for temporary differences arising from the initial recognition of a lease. This, in turn, would result in an entity recognizing the deferred tax effects of a lease as it recovers the lease asset and settles the lease liability and thereby aligning the accounting for deferred tax related to leases with the general principle in IS-12. Now, a major complexity with this is that IS-12 requires an entity to recognize deferred tax assets only to the extent that it's probable that taxable profits will be available. This is called the recoverability requirement. And because of this requirement, in some situations, equal taxable and deductible temporary differences might result in an entity recognizing unequal amounts of deferred tax assets and liabilities. So to ensure entities recognize equal amounts of deferred tax assets and liabilities, the board proposed in the exposure draft that an entity would recognize a deferred tax liability only to the the extent that it recognizes a corresponding deferred tax assets. So applying the recoverability requirement that I just mentioned. This is called, in the exposure draft, this is called the capping proposal. Um, The recognition exemption would therefore continue to apply to any portion of the deferred tax liability for which an entity recognizes no corresponding deferred tax asset. Now, if an entity were to recognize any such excess deferred tax liability, the entity would then need to adjust the carrying amount of the related asset as the other side of the entry. Recognizing this portion of the deferred tax liability would result in the outcome the recognition exemption was designed to prevent. So essentially this means that the capping proposal creates quite a bit of complexity and also may in some cases mean that the outcome would be inconsistent with the purpose of the recognition exemption. So for this reason, uh, and I'll stop in a minute, the key recommendations from the staff were that the board confirm its proposal to narrow the scope of the recognition exemption so that it would not apply to transactions that give rise to equal amounts of taxable and deductible temporary differences, but to remove the capping proposal that was proposed in the exposure draft. There were also a few other areas addressed in the paper, mainly around whether to provide application guidance and illustrative examples, but also around transition when implementing those changes. But let's focus on the key aspects of the proposals.
0: Yeah, I don't think we want any more complexity added into (laughs) IS-12. I think it's challenging enough rather than adding something, the capping into it as well. So lots and lots of information. What was the feedback from the IFRIC, you know, around the proposals? What did they feel?
1: Yeah, I apologize in advance for the complexity. And I realized realized, that there was a lot of information. I I do realize (laughs) that. So the feedback from the EFRIC on the staff proposals was overall very positive, I would say. There were quite a few comments around whether to provide additional guidance on how to determine whether tax deductions are attributable to the lease asset or to the lease liability. There were also a few other comments, for example, around how to deal with situations when different tax rates apply and a few other detailed topics. Now, going back to the broader picture, I think the committee felt quite unanimously that the proposals from the staff are well-balanced, and so so there was broad support to go ahead with the proposals along the lines proposed by the staff. My sense was that the committee members felt those proposals would be addressing the issue in a reasonable way, incorporating the feedback received from stakeholders, and coming up with a well-balanced proposal that helps solve the issue and to reduce current diversity in practice. So I think... While some challenges will remain, overall, this is a well-balanced proposal and quite convinced this is the right way forward.
0: Okay, brilliant. So they will keep going and some point soon we'll see an exposure draft. I suppose it it is quite a complex topic, nothing to do with you, Carson, you didn't write it. But just, you know, for the the listeners, um, what are the key takeaways they need to know?
1: Sure. I certainly realized there was a lot of information and quite a few complexities around leases and deferred taxes on leases. But I would say consistent with my experience that the most challenging issues and complexities of IFRS come up when we're talking about the interactions of different IFRS standards. So to sum up, let, let me maybe summarize two key takeaways for the two main issues on the agenda. The first one is around the requirement in IFRS 16 on sale back transactions that again can only be partially recognized. The tentative agenda decision aims to clarify that this requirement applies regardless of whether there's a direct sale and leaseback of the asset or whether the transfer of the asset is effected through a share deal. Second, watch out for the amendments to IS-12, which would narrow the scope of the recognition exemption in IS-12 so that it would not apply to transactions that give rise to equal amounts of taxable and deductible temporary differences, as it would typically be the case for lease assets and lease liabilities. So if these changes are finalized, this means that the general principle in IS-12 would apply which means that an entity would need to recognise deferred tax for certain temporary differences arising from lease contracts. Okay,
0: perfect. And timing with this, so that was obviously like a proposal to the ED. That goes back to the board, they'll update it. When will people actually get hold of this and get to comment on it? i don't pinning
1: you down on the ISB's timeline. I won't hold you to it. I, I don't know the exact timing, to be honest. I would need to check the timing when it comes back to the border. It should be on the ISB website.
0: Okay. No problem. I put you on the spot there, Carsten. So sorry. We'll we'll no, it will be back at it. We'll be back on the ISB's ISB's discussion soon. So thank you very much for whipping us through that three hour discussion in less than 20 minutes. And obviously the IFRIC update will be out as well on the ISB website if anyone wants more information. But thank you, Carsten. I'll speak to you again when we next have the next IFRIC. And thanks to the listeners. Stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by Price Wardhouse Cooper's LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.